You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Well, I thought that the conversation was over. I thought that it was winding up. I had eaten lunch with a childhood friend and was sending him a text message, letting him know how much I appreciated our long lunch, our great conversation. And he sent me back a Marco Polo. He sent me back an an audio file of him saying, no, thank you. And I thought the conversation was over until we just kept going. And I found myself weeping at the things that he was telling me. Have you been in these places before where you think that the conversation's over? I mean, even just last week, we were with a group of couples, had great conversation about life and and scripture and and raising kids and just all kinds of things, both small and insignificant. And and you think it's about to end, you know, that moment you think, all right, well, everyone's going to go their own way. And I asked someone, they'd been kind of quiet. And then the whole conversation at that point was preparing for the gift that just took place in front of our eyes, the conversation that extended for much longer. I thought it was over. You know, sometimes we think that things are just taken care of and they're behind us and they're settled. And I want to tell you a few things that I used to believe about church. And and maybe you can connect with these five things, things that I once believed about the church that that are good, but I've come to learn that maybe some of these are incomplete. I mean, I I used to believe that the church was a a safe place, a solace, uh, uh, almost a fortress, a bubble that protects you and insulates you from the outside world, this safe place that people could go to. And unfortunately, almost like a club where you're trying to attract people into this safe place to be a part of this group of people. When really, Christianity is more about getting people inside of God than getting people inside of a church. I used to believe that church was filled with good, moral, honest people. And that's definitely the case. Don't get worried. Looking around the room. It's true. But we're also normal people. We make mistakes. We screw up. We struggle. We are just like everyone else in so many different ways. The difference, the difference is that our lives are held together by God's grace. They are pulled together where we can actually make sense of our lives. And it's God and His grace that's actually making us good or making us better, anything that people might see in us. A third thing is, I used to believe that people had to be good before they came into the church. You had to have your life together, that I needed to have all my stuff together before I could be a Christian, before I could be a part of a church. And I guess maybe I've forgotten that God doesn't save perfect people. He doesn't save people that have it all together. Well, I take that back. There was one chance that God had to save a perfect person with Jesus, and he didn't. In fact, he let that perfect person go to his death for the good of an imperfect world. That was God's vision for this world, all the people that we see all around us. 
And the fourth thing is I, I used to believe that the Bible was pretty easy to understand, that all the words were straightforward, you could understand them, you could interpret them, you could easily apply them. And the more you keep studying this Bible, the more you see the distance that's there, the work that must be invested, the full-bodied, full-souled approach to Scripture that must take place in every age and in every time. And the fifth thing, the final thing that I'll share, I don't know if you're connecting with any of these or not, things that I once believed about the church, but I used to believe that, that Christians were about following the rules. That's what we follow. Get the rules right, and we were good followers. And now, more and more I'm seeing that Christians are people that are following God. We are following Christ. That's who we're after. And that's what I want to talk about today. A lot of times we just feel like uh, stories are ended. If, if we were to look at Exodus, I kind of think that we're getting to the point where like, it's over, right? Is, haven't we had enough excitement? We've had enough to fill up a movie with all the things that have happened, with plagues and parting of Red Seas. There's enough. And yet there's still more to this story. The story of a prince of Egypt who was going to save his own people who were enslaved. And he tried one by one to save them, and that failed, which sent him to a valley point of his life where he ran away to another adoptive family, but then he went up a mountain, Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, a place where Moses, this former prince, met God and had a personal interaction with God, received the name of God, Yahweh, I am what I am. And you might remember that God gave Moses some signs there at the burning bush. Do you remember what they were, the biggest sign? Well, the biggest sign comes in chapter 3, verse 12, and it seems like a strange sign and a weird sign. God promises Moses that as a sign that all that he's saying would take place, he is going to bring the people back to this very mountain, the space where he's at, and they will worship God there. Now, that's a weird sign. I kind of get focused in on, well, turning the Nile to blood and everything turning to darkness and all kinds of these amazing signs that took place with the Red Sea parting and, and on the like. Halloween-type events. Smoke, all kinds of stuff. But that wasn't the sign that was to be seen. It was a sign of a group of people worshiping. Now, I have to give you a little bit of background here because, for the most part, they didn't have big group worships then. Families got together. Individuals got together and offered sacrifices, but groups getting together for worship really didn't take place. So this sign really was something different. And off goes Moses with the name of Yahweh on his lips, with this sign of worship on his heart and his staff in his hand, and he goes back to Egypt. The story that we're looking at today is a story that gives us some snapshots of Exodus, of Moses' experience. A snapshot of the burning bush where he sees God. And then another snapshot where he brings the people back to this very place and some amazing things happen. If you're able to and willing, would you please stand for the reading of God's word as we look at this pivotal story and how it continues. I'm going to start in chapter 19 in verse 2, down to 11, and then pick up in verse 16. They had journeyed to Rephidim and entered the wilderness of Sinai and camped out in the wilderness. Israel camped there in front of the mountain. And then Moses went up the mountain to God. 
The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the Israelites, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you obey my voice, keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession out of all the peoples. Indeed, the whole earth is mine, but you shall be for me a priestly kingdom and a holy nation. These are the words that you're to say to the Israelites. So Moses came and he summoned all the elders of the people and he set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. And the people answered as one, everything that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And then the Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak to you and so trust you forever after. When Moses told these words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell the people to consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and prepare for the third day, because on that third day the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Now verse 16. On the morning of the third day there was thunder and lightning as well as a thick cloud on the mountain and a blast of the trumpet so loud that all the people in the camp were trembling. Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. They took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended upon it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses would speak, and then God would answer in thunder. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this is utterly terrifying. Smoke, mountain, it sounds like God's sending them in the midst of a volcano that's about to erupt. I mean, this is frightening. Talk about putting the fear of God in someone. They are afraid and terrified. But God has a desire to actually meet the people. He wants them to see him. He wants them to hear him speak, even if it's in thunder. And he tells them, in verses 3 through 6, basically the same thing. I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one that rescued from slavery. I got you out of the mess that you're in. I, I bore you on eagle's wings. You didn't have to fight. I just gave you an escape path and got you out of there. And he says, tell all this to the, to the house of Jacob and to the people of Israel. Jacob and Israel. Well, that's interesting names. Jacob and Israel are the same person. You might remember Jacob was a trickster. God doesn't really use perfect people, as I've said earlier. This guy was a guy who was always running from his family. He was tricking people. He, he was a heel grabber. This was a guy to watch out for. But it's the person that God used. Well, late one night, God wrestles with Jacob. And Jacob and God are wrestling, and God dislodges Jacob's hip in order to pin him. And from that point on, he got the blessing of a name. And do you know what the name was? Well, it's Israel. But do you know what Israel means? 
Israel is one who strives with God, one who wrestles with Yahweh. I love that. I love that name for God's people, that even to this present day, we call the nation of Israel, and they're the people who strive with God. That's a name that I claim. That's something that I see in myself. How about you? Where there are times when we strive with God, when we wrestle to make sense of things that God has said, maybe it's times of frustration, and yet this God reaches out to us and says this, if you'll keep my commandments, and if you'll obey my voice, then you will be my treasured possession. Now what my ear is immediately drawn to is that word if. If you'll do these things, then you'll be my treasured possession. It sounds conditional. It sounds like I need to keep the rules. I need to keep the commands. I need to get my life in order in order to be God's treasured possession, right? Doesn't it sound that way? Well, let me jog your memory. Because this is now 600 years after God makes a promise to Abraham. An unconditional promise that God was going to bless Abraham and take care of Abraham and make of him a great nation and bless all nations of the earth through Abraham. Now, I want that to simmer on the stove for you. The promise that God makes to this group of people comes way, way before the Ten Commandments, way before all of these strange laws that show up in the rest of Exodus. The promise of relationship comes first. That also is worthy of our attention, that the relationship comes before the law. And so the law comes almost like a diamond something that's set in a ring that's already been fashioned. The relationship is already there. The covenant promises are in place. And now the people of God can reply. That's very, very important. And what I want you to hear, first of all, for today, is that this Sinai covenant is put down in the middle of the Abrahamic covenant, which is much bigger. The law is positioned inside of the relationship that God has already established with his people. That is beautiful. Now, what someone might quickly say is if we're the people of God before the law and before the rules, then what's the point of the rules? I know, some of you were thinking it, right? If you you just put the rules as second, well, what, what becomes of those rules? Well, these rules are important because they're a gift. They're a guide. They're a pointer that show us and instruct us in how we might become more like God. The law doesn't make that covenant promise to Abraham conditional. That's not going to go away. The law simply points the way for a group of people to live in this world, showing even the consequences whenever we step away from God or shut our ears to what God is guiding. But the promise remains. The promise is there that we are children of God. Well, how do, we, how do we become and how do we act like children of God? He says that we'll be a treasured possession. I mean, who doesn't want to be the favorite? I don't know if you're the favorite in your household or if you have a favorite, but who doesn't want to be the favorite musician or the free, best creative in the family or the most intelligent or whatever it is? You want to be the favorite. Well, 
God is different from earthly parents. God does not play favorites. Whenever he talks about Israel being a chosen possession, a holy priesthood, he is not playing favorites. It's for the benefit of the whole world. That would be like God saying that he likes one child more than another. When God's heart is on the entire globe, the whole earth, every religion, all languages, all people, every country, all are children of God. And in that light, we see even in the New Testament, in John 3.16, a very famous one that many of you could quote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might be saved through him. Right? God so loved who? Well, the perfect people, of course. The, the religious people, of course. The people who have it all together, of course. No! The world. Let that one hit you. That God loves the world. This is not just something that came with Jesus, it was true with Abraham. When he makes a promise to bless Abraham and bless all people through Abraham, this is not just for cute Christians, or cute Jews, this is for all. And the calling of being God's chosen people is to join in that same pattern. We as God wrestlers join in that pattern of being a priestly kingdom, two words that don't usually fit together, a servant and a ruler, one who goes between God and the people and one who rules over the people. But that's the kind of people that these God wrestlers are that are we. We are serving the world for the good of God so that God's salvation can reach all of the entire globe. Perhaps you remember Isaiah 49, verse 6, where God says, you know, it's too little of a thing for you to set your service on the house of Jacob or on the people of Israel. No, I want you, people of God, to be a light to all nations so that my salvation may reach all people. That's powerful. That's profound. And it forms a new community, a community of people who are known by nothing other than the fact that God delivers us that God rescues us. That's what the focus is on. It's on God pulling together different people who have differing opinions and differing languages and differing skin tones, differing work ethics, differing sexual ethics, differing genders, differing ways of seeing the world. God takes a holy, sweaty, stinky people and he makes that group of people holy. Not as his pets. Not set apart to be apart. Not set apart from the world, but set apart for the world. There's a big difference in God's intention of pulling us together. And so holiness and this path of following God and going the, down the ways that he points us is not meant to intimidate others. It's not meant to keep other people out. It should be inspiring. It should draw people in. Others might see us and how we live and want to be a part of it. And if that's not the case, then we might look closely at how we're living our lives. Well, I thought the conversation was over with my friend. We'd had a great lunch before, and I was just sending a thank you text, and then we began these verbal conversations, these Marco Polos back and forth. 
You know what he said to me? He told me at our lunch about his middle child who's come out as trans. Now, transgender might not be a term that's familiar to you. It's someone who doesn't identify with the gender of their birth. And so his child, his son, has now chosen different pronouns and a different name. Well, the story that he began telling me in these audio texts is he said, well, on Friday at school, 10 boys surrounded my child. And they began saying to my child, come back to God. And they began quoting scriptures. And when I asked my child about the scriptures, he couldn't remember any of the scriptures. They were just inundating him talking over one another, screaming and yelling, cornering this child at school. And my friend, this father, is so gracious. He said, I know they were acting out of faith and they were wanting to communicate something genuine. I was like, wow, I can't believe he'd be that gracious. But he said, what they were doing is bullying, a Christian form of bullying. And I know that's probably shocking to all of us to think about Christians acting in that way on any topic, to strong arm and oppress folks in that way. It, it doesn't make sense. It's not Christian. And that's even what I told my friend. But it pushes us to think about this ordering of how God lays things out. I think, I don't imagine, I can't imagine a church or a youth group that would develop children where this is the natural response, where this is the way to act. But I think what's happening, if I could be so bold, is that they've put the mountain before the journey. They've come to identify following God with following rules rather than following God. They've missed out on this journey of relationship where God comes to all of us and establishes relationship with us before he says anything about what this life looks like and what it could look like and the mistakes and stumbles that we will make. Do you see that subtle difference? Where we can approach people in relationship, where we can join the journey with them. You know, I, I used to believe a lot of things about church, like I mentioned earlier, that it's safe and it's filled with good people and that you've got to first have it all together and you've got to believe and understand instantly every word of the Bible for it to make sense, and that it's all about following the rules. And I also told you that I'm seeing it more and more about following God. Because what we see in this story, as this mountain shakes, as the smoke covers it and as God descends like a fire, it's seated in relationship. And what we do is we reach out and we worship God. We proclaim the mighty acts of God. Not any of our acts. Not any of the things that we've done, good or bad, but we proclaim the mighty acts of God. That's what it's all about. Even 1 Peter 2, verse 9 and 10, points to this, using the same priesthood language, that we point to God's great actions because our identity is in God. And every person that we see, whoever we come in contact with, is a child of God and should be treated as such. If we break that, if we break that relationship, we will never have another chance. We will lose the chance to witness to them to actually be a priesthood of all believers. Well, our first mission is about, as this people of God, worshiping God. 
proclaiming God's mighty acts. And as God's priests, we scatter through the world, doing good, representing Christ as best as we can. Not creating the church as a safe place, but as a group of people that is trying to, as best as they can, get in to the life of God. Not a group of people that is so normal and so removed and so protected, but a group of people that is welcoming, a group of people that has made mistakes, a group of people that's still learning the way, a group of people held together by God's grace. Isn't that true of all of us, wherever we might be? Maybe we're a group of people who have not given up on trying to be good, but we're more and more aware that it's God who makes us good. It's God who allows us to take this path of becoming more and more good. We're focused, we're focused, focused on living in this relationship with other people, becoming more and more like God, and living out not just following the rules, but following the God that's behind all of that, following the God that has given us these guidance. That journey, that relationship, is something that's far more beautiful. Far more beautiful than just starting off on the mountaintop. You know, if we just focus in on those rules and refusing to allow people to worship God, we're, we're acting a lot like Pharaoh. We're saying, no, you cannot go and worship God. When the rules are meant to be a gift, a guidance, a pointing, thing that I think I'm going to be sitting with this week, I don't know about you, is whether or not I trust the rules or I trust God. There's a very subtle and very small difference between those two things. Do I trust the rules and my ability to follow them or find them or interpret them? Or I trust, do I trust the God who has called us into his life, who has called us to follow him? Well, there's lots that we've talked about today. I mean, we've learned about the very importance of God setting relationship in motion first. That God establishes that relationship before the law. And that should help us as we seek to be accurate biblically, as we seek to be on task with who God is. We want that relationship to come first. And second, we learn that this law helps us see what the people of God look like. They are a group of people that are bound and defined by God, who is the deliverer. Not bound and defined by how well or how poorly we're able to follow the rules. And to me, that's good news. That's good news for everyone. Let's pray. Oh God, you are a good God, and we earnestly seek you in a dry and weary land where there's no water. Would you quench our thirst with the Holy Spirit? Would you quench our thirst with our Lord Jesus, who as a perfect one showed us the path of suffering, showed us the path of death, and showed us the depths to which you are willing to go to express your love for others? God, you've told us through Jesus that we will be known to the world by one thing, by the way that we love others. Father, would you help us, empower us to be the kind of people who love others as well as you love them. 
We ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.